It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Pod bless everybody. I'm your host of OPP, Corey Cambridge. And before we get started with this amazing episode, I want to tell you about my other show, Silent Giants. Silent Giants is a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. Ever wondered who made the MTV logo? Did you know the person who wrote Earth, Wind & Fire's hit song September? Also wrote the theme song for the hit 90s TV show Friends? On Silent Giants, we learn more about these amazing people and dig deep to learn more about their most famous works. Be sure to check out Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Now, let me introduce you to our special guest of OPP. Hi, I'm Tim Harford. I'm the host of Cautionary Tales, and you're listening to OPP. God bless everybody, and welcome back to another episode of OPP. Other People's Podcasts is America's number one podcast discovery platform that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Tim Harford, host of the amazing podcast, Cautionary Tales. On Cautionary Tales, you hear the stories of awful human error, tragic catastrophes, daring heists, and hilarious fiascos that'll delight you, scare you, but also make you wiser. In this episode, we're going to learn more about Tim, his background in economics, we get his podcaster's picks, and of course, we get into his dope show, Cautionary Tales. So, on to my interview with Tim Harford. There we go. My man, Tim. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's great to talk to you. No, no, that, that's what's up, man. That's what's up. So one of my favorite things about interviewing people uh, who are across the globe is that I get to get a better understanding of what the podcasting scene is like where you are. So tell me, what, what is the podcasting scene like in the UK? Is it really catching on? Is there an energy? I live in New York City where I feel like everyone and their mama has a, a podcast. So what's the vibe like over there? Well, I think people are catching on here too. The The big thing about the UK is we have the BBC, which is a huge a publicly funded broadcaster. It, it has something in common with PBS. It has something in common with NPR, but there's a lot more money and a lot more resources. And so initially a lot of the, the podcasting was, well, BBC shows released digitally. So, I mean, I've been podcasting since... I guess about 2008, because my Radio 4 show, my BBC radio show, more or less, has been available as a podcast. But podcast is the more independent thing. I think we're, you know, we're catching on. Of course, we listen to some of the top American shows. So shows like uh, like 99% Invisible, shows like Radio Lab, This American Life, very popular over here. But there's definitely an independent scene. So, for example, just a friend of mine uh, has a podcast called Fictoplasm, and it's super niche. I don't know if he has a hundred listeners, but he talks about fantasy novels that he likes and how you can use those fantasy novels in in role playing games, in Dungeons and Dragons, and, and similar to that. It's just one man in a microphone 
but I enjoy listening to it. He enjoys making it. So there's that vibe going on. And there are some there are some big um, big British podcasters who who aren't involved with with the BBC. For, for example, there's no such thing as a fish. I know they're quite big uh, in the US now. They just did a US tour, but they're they're British and uh, they're fantastic. Just kind of weird trivia, science, history, and comedy. Uh, and uh, there's Helen Zaltzman who uh, presents The Illusionist, which is a Radiotopia podcast that's aligned with Roman Mars and 99% Invisible. But Helen is one of like the queens of podcasting in the UK. She's very helpful to people who are starting up. So we've got our own scene for sure. Uh, you know, for folks who might not know uh, who you are, Tim Harford, give me a, tell me more about yourself. Sure. So I... I'm a writer. I write uh, books about business and economics. The, the best-selling one of those books was called The Undercover Economist. came out about 12 years ago. Uh, no, I'm getting old. 14 years ago. The Undercover Economist. I write a column about uh, using economic ideas and other ideas from the social sciences in everyday life. And that column appears in the Financial Times. Uh, and I present a BBC radio show called More or Less, where we try to pick apart the the numerical claims, the statistical claims that are made in the newspapers, in the media, by politicians, by companies with something to sell. And we pick them apart and we try and work out what's what's really true. So it's kind of using geeky ideas to try to help people think more clearly. And more recently, uh, I have a podcast called 50 Things That Made the Modern Economy with the BBC, which where I go through all of these different uh, economic concepts, everything from uh, the plough to blockchain, and they're nine-minute episodes, and I just go through the consequences of these inventions, these ideas. Like, what what did they change about the world? And then the most recent project, which is super exciting for me, is is called Cautionary Tales. That's a podcast with Pushkin, uh, which is the Malcolm Gladwell-inspired uh, collective, uh, and Cautionary Tales is about uh, things going really badly wrong. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's tragic. But in each case, I tell the story. We've got an amazing composer. We've got great actors, Emmy award-winning actors. I tell the story of what went wrong. And there's me popping up with my slightly geeky perspective saying, here's why that did not go according to plan. Here's why people made that mistake. And here's how you can avoid that mistake in your own life. Mm. Uh, tell me more about your book, The Undercover Economist. So the book starts with me going into a, a coffee shop, going into a Starbucks and um, just looking at the prices of the coffee and trying to figure out why does it cost this much and who makes money from this? Is it the coffee farmer? Is it Starbucks? Is it the barista? Is it uh, is it the person who owns the property that the Starbucks is in? And how come there are all these different products and how come the different products are different prices? And, uh, and I discover things like there's, there are off-menu coffees. You can, you can order stuff that's not on the menu. And all of that is a jumping-off point, just taking something very, very common, like coffee, Starbucks, like everyone knows what that is, and to say there are economic principles behind this. There are economic principles behind all of the things that surround us every day, you know, whether we get stuck in a traffic jam, why some companies succeed or fail, why some nations succeed or fail, and try to use economic ideas to help people understand the world around them. So that 
I mean, when I wrote that book, I didn't have a job as a journalist. I didn't have a job as a writer. I didn't have a book deal. I just had some economic training and I was, I was curious about the world and I was enthusiastic about the subject that I'd studied. And so I wrote this book and years later, finally got a publisher. And, um, and to my amazement, people, people really went for it. People liked it. What would drew you to economics? Well, I never planned to be an economist. I, uh, at, at high school, I studied maths, English, and French. So, oh, and physics. So I was like splitting myself between the sciences and the arts. Uh, then when I went to, to university, I went to Oxford University um, and studied a subject called philosophy, politics, economics, which is the classic subject for people who do not know what they want to do. So like, I'm going to go to college. I haven't got a clue what I want to do with my life. So I'm going to keep hedging my bets. And I really like the idea of philosophy. I thought oh, philosophy sounds cool and sort of romantic. And, you know, you could imagine telling people you, know, you study philosophy and, it, you know, that sounds really sophisticated. I never had any particular interest in economics. That was just, well, it was part of the package. And it was only when I started really studying the subject, I realized how interesting it, it was. And it's partly that there's a real combination there. There's, you're, try, you're trying to understand history, you're trying to understand psychology, you're trying to un understand complex systems. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of maths in there, and I like maths. But at the same time, it's, it's really human. It, this economics, the way our economy is structured, and the decisions we make about how to structure the, that economy makes a huge difference to people's lives and to the opportunities that they have. So it just, it seemed to have everything. And it's a, it's a really, it's a really fun subject to study. And at the same time, it's kind of really hard to get right. It's really hard to say, yeah, we solved that problem. And now we can stop thinking about it. There, there are always questions. And so it's a, feels like a really rich topic. Yeah. When, uh, when I was in college, my best friends studied economics and they raved about their major and how yeah. it, it impacts the world they live in on a day-to-day. How has studying economics helped you live your life on a day-to-day? Well, I mean, there are certain obvious things, like I feel a reasonable amount of confidence dealing with money. Like I'm not worried about, I'm not confused about my pension. You know, I have money worries the same as anybody else, but it's not intimidating to me. But I think other things that might, surprise people more is that I, th I think for example quite a lot about how to use my time and uh, I'm sure you're familiar with this with this idea and many of your guests are familiar with this idea but you know once you you get into podcasts and you start to have a, a public profile people start asking you to do stuff a lot uh, so I mean for instance you asked me to do this interview so thank you very much for the invitation but people are always asking me to do stuff and so you're constantly having to make a decision about how you use your time uh, and economics really helped me think about that. And one of the key insights is, um, is opportunity cost. It's a really important idea in economics. But basically, everything you do means you're making a decision not to do something else. And sometimes you should be really explicit about that. So if I'm invited to go to, I don't know, a book launch in, in London, well, that seems nice. Hey, some free drinks. I meet some interesting people. And that seems exciting. I have to be clear that that is a decision not to spend the evening with my three children. That is an, a decision not to spend the evening with my wife. Uh, and I'm, maybe I want to make that decision, but I want to, if I do want to make that decision, I want to do so really consciously and to keep those opportunity costs foremost in my mind. Uh, Tim, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, bring it to your podcast, Cautionary Tales. 
And Tim, we are back, my man. Okay, so you touched on this a little bit earlier in the conversation, but tell me, how did you first discover the medium of podcasting in general? I can't remember exactly how I came across it, but the I do remember listening to Planet Money, the early episodes of Planet Money, which is a fantastic show about economics, uh, and This American Life. And this would have been about 10 years ago. Planet Money was really trying to make sense of the financial crisis that was surrounding us. Um, and downloading these things onto my phone, as you do, and listening to them, and listening, and I'm just wandering around my neighborhood. I lived in London at the time. And listening to these soothing American voices explain all this stuff. And I thought, wow, this is really, really, really intriguing. These guys are really good. Mostly was guys, I think, um, on those particular shows at that particular time. But they're really good at what they do. Uh, I'm understanding things and I'm, I'm engaged by the narrative. There was a different style to American podcasting than there was to British broadcasting. Uh, so I've, I, I don't remember the, the details, but I, those were early shows that I was listening to and loving. Uh, did you know instantly, you mentioned that you, you, know, you were uh, involved in podcasting early on, but did you always want to start a podcast the minute you heard This American Life and Planet Money? Uh, I, I quite quickly was encouraging my colleagues at the BBC to listen and to, to reflect on what they were hearing. So you have to remember, I, I was already broadcasting on national radio in the UK to about a million people when I heard my first podcast. So it wasn't, it wasn't that I immediately thought, I want to do a podcast of my own. My immediate thought was, this is great. How can we change how we do radio to reflect the quality of what we're hearing here? Uh, and, and often that meant slowing things down a little bit, taking more time to explain, and being more focused on the narrative, being more focused on, on the story. So that was the, the immediate response. And then maybe three or four years ago, uh, people started saying, hey, you should do a podcast. You should, uh, you, you, you should think about doing this yourself. Um, there's a demand out there. There's a, there's a business model out there. Uh, but I, I was very aware that, well, I'm currently writing my eighth and my ninth book. I have these two BBC shows. I have my regular column. Uh, you know, I felt busy. So it was really, it was only when... Um, Jacob Weisberg and Malcolm Gladwell came from Pushkin and said, do you, do, you want to be, do you want to be part of this group that I thought, well, hang on, this really is an opportunity that I shouldn't be turning down? Because Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History, uh, also Broken Record, they're great podcasts. Um, Michael Lewis, Against the Rules, from the same stable of people. This is, for, for someone who writes about economics and business, to be in the same uh, group as... Michael Lewis and Malcolm Gladwell, you can't get any better than that. So that was the moment I thought, no, I really have to give this a try. Yes, you know what? So for the audience who haven't tuned in to Cautionary Tales, uh, give me the elevator pitch of what the show is about. So the show is about great storytelling uh, with great actors, uh, music composed specifically for the show, about half hour episodes. Each one tells a story and each story is about something going wrong. Sometimes something going wrong in a very amusing way, at least I think it's funny. Sometimes things going wrong in a very tragic way. So for example, the most recent episode uh, was about an airship crash. Not the Hindenburg, not the super famous one, a different airship crash with a different lesson. But you know, people died in that. And um, 
you know, that's not funny at all. Another one of the episodes is about a heist, a guy who puts on the uniform of a German army officer and just starts ordering people around and everyone obeys him. Uh, and it, that's, that's really quite funny. He's an amazing character and what he gets people to do is funny. So you have these, you have these stories about things going wrong. And then in between the storytelling, in between the music and the narrative and the acting, you have me saying, okay, uh, as someone who studies social science, behavioral economics, and, and so on, what can I tell you about why that happened? What can I tell you about how things went wrong? going just beyond the narrative, but looking at the explanation, the scientific explanation, and then hopefully giving you something to think about that will make you less likely to make a related mistake. Because of course, we don't, we don't crash airships in everyday life. We don't um, accidentally give the Oscar to the wrong movie in everyday life. But we do make similar mistakes that are based on the same psychological or systematic uh, frailties. So that's what the show's about. It's, it's great fun to to work on it. Uh, how did you decide to come up and, and focus on this particular uh, theme or, or topic for the show? I knew I wanted something with strong stories. There's already an element of storytelling in my books. Uh, but in the radio I do, the story is not front and center. And I thought for, for this format, I, I want something with good stories. And of course, you get very good stories when things go wrong. That's always interesting. There's a good, there's a good narrative arc. But I've, I've also been fascinated by the idea of human error for a very long time. Remember, I trained as an economist. Economics in um, its textbook form doesn't have a lot of room for human error. There is, there is some of it, but it's not central to the discipline. And yet when you look around, you look at politics, you look at financial crashes, you look at the sorts of mistakes we make all the time. Um, there's lots of human error to study. And I've become very, very interested in that. So that seemed to be a natural uh, area of focus. I should say also, by the way, my uh, my sister uh, trained as a safety engineer. So when I first raised this with her, this must be now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f***? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, nearly 10 years ago. I've been thinking about this for a long time. Uh, she was able to hand over a massive stack of books about things crashing, blowing up. Um, exploding, being set on fire. I mean, she's she's got a whole library full of things going wrong and how to prevent them going wrong. So it's always interesting to look outside your own discipline. Safety engineers have been thinking about this a lot. Uh, one thing about America, where I'm currently residing, is that uh, we are very, very big on culture. We kind of pride ourselves on being the the culture of the world. And most things that we consume are American things. The sports that we love are American sports. Uh, but this podcast has really resonated really, really well in the States. Uh, was there a, a, a effort or a challenge um, in creating stories that would resonate with an American audience? It's an interesting question because, yeah, the first episode is about an oil tanker crashing and it's not doesn't crash in the U.S., doesn't crash on U.S. 
waters. The second episode is set in Germany in, in 1906. The third is begins at the Oscars. You can't get much more American than the Oscars. Sure, I mean, Hollywood. Um, but no, it's, it is international in, in the stories, but I think that is an advantage because the, the idea of a story of a boat crashing or the story of a charismatic con man who persuades people to believe things that they shouldn't believe, those are universals. You don't, you don't need any big explanation uh, about like what a con man is or how a con man operates. But if I, te- if I tell you a story about a German con man um, from 1906 rather than an American con man from 2019, that story is going to be new, it's going to be fresh and interesting. I'm going to tell people things that they, they haven't heard before, at least I hope so. So I haven't been worried about it. I've always felt that if the, if the story is interesting to me, I hope it'll be interesting to others. And so that's, that's the way it's gone. Of course, I have... Um, uh, editors who are based in the US and every now and then they say oh you, the way you phrase that or the way you've explained that that doesn't make any sense to an american audience but there hasn't been much of that generally i think the, these stories have i hope a reasonably universal appeal yeah and, and speaking of the success of the show you're currently uh, pretty much sitting at the top 20 in both the apple uk and us charts and for me my background is in music and my favorite thing about creativity is having something that resonates in my mind as an idea, actually physically making it and then putting out to the universe. And ultimately, you want it to be well-received. And when it is, it feels great. What does it feel like to have uh, your podcast do so well and resonate with, with audiences all across the world? Well, I'm very excited by that. I'm obviously very pleased. But uh, I mean, I've had this experience before with, with books. And the, what I've always said is, the benchmark is, can I make a living? And will it sell well enough that they'll let me write another one? So um, beyond that, I, I, it's nice to be to reach a wide audience. At the same time, the more people you reach, the more hassle you get, the more emails you get from people complaining about what you've, what you've said or, or, uh, or just sort of even writing with, with questions. It all takes time. So there's downsides to being... To being famous, there's downsides to reaching a big audience. Um, my aim is to do work that I'm proud of and you know, and to pay my bills. And I know I'm I'm already incredibly fortunate. I'm in the position where podcasting and writing can pay my bills. I, I realize most creative people don't get to that situation, so I'm I'm happy with that. And if it does better, if it reaches more people, well, that's great. But it's not that's not the the main aim. I'm sure that if if you really wanted to to try to reach more people, you'd probably do. You'd, you'd have a different approach. You'd, we, but, and, but that's just never been the way I've I've thought about things. Yeah, it's an interesting point you touched on. How is literary success different from the success of having a podcast for you? There are some similarities. So you know, you you do. If if we could be having this conversation about a book, if you were a book podcaster, we could be having this conversation about a book, and it would be in many ways a similar conversation. So some of the marketing work you have to do um, is, is similar. Um, but the two big differences with a book, one is the time scale is much longer. So I'm under pressure right now in December from my publisher who really wants to publish my book by the fall of 2020. And he's like, it's really late. It really should have been in 
um, a couple of months ago. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm working on it, but I had this podcast to do. So there's a long, long lead time with a book, which means by the time it comes out in hardcover, you've forgotten half of it. And then by the time it actually comes out in, in paperback, in softcover, you've really forgotten what you wrote. So that's, um, that's a, a strange thing about the book. The other big difference is uh, the podcast is a real team effort all the way along. I send in my scripts, my editors look at them, they suggest changes. Then once the script is finalized, I'm working with my producers to produce the vocal performance. Uh, then I hand it over and we've got the amazing composer and sound mixer putting it all together. One of my producers is working with the actors. It's all coming together. And then I finally hear the result. And that's a team effort. Um, a book is a team effort, of course, in that you have people designing the cover for you. You have your editors working and making suggestions and fact checking. There's a team, but it feels much more solitary. You're working by yourself for a much longer period of time. But personally, I like I like both. I like that mix. Um, I, I, I love the fact that I, I write a weekly newspaper column. So every single week I have to produce something. And then at another timescale, I might be working on a book for three or four years. Um, so working with teams, working by myself, working on a short timescale, working on a long timescale, I find that uh, creatively helpful to have that uh, to have that mixture of things. In fact, I did give a TED talk about this time last year uh, about what I call slow motion multitasking, about the, the joys of having different projects at different timescales on different topics being um, it's multitasking has a bad reputation, but actually this is the pattern of behavior of a, a lot of very creative individual people, much more creative and much more successful than I am operate in this way. Uh, what have you learned from cautionary tales that you didn't know before you started? Uh, so the, the last episode in the series, which hasn't been broadcast yet is, uh, is all about the parallels between the ancient Greeks and how they thought about their oracles. They would go to a temple and they would ask an oracle for a forecast of the future. And the oracle would respond with the voice of a God and would tell them what was going to happen. Uh, at least that was the idea. The parallels between the Greeks and their oracles and the way we think about using algorithms today, the way we consult our computers, our GPS, uh, we figure out who's going to be promoted, who's going to be fired or, uh, um, you know, we was constantly relying on computers to tell us stuff, to make predictions for us. So I learned a lot about how the algorithms work, but I also learned a lot about how the Greeks viewed their oracles. So that was, that was fun. I just had a hunch that there was something interesting to say. But when I started talking to the experts on the topic, the, you know, the professors of ancient history, I realized, yeah, there's, there are so many parallels. It's so intriguing. Um, and, the, the, and not wishing to scoop my final episode, so spoiler alert, but one of the key messages is when the Greeks consulted their oracles, they thought really, really hard about what question to ask. And then they thought really, really hard about how to interpret the answer. They didn't just thoughtlessly ask and then act on the answer. And so in that way, I think they were much wiser than us because we will just put the question into the black box computer. We get the answer out and then we stop thinking. And that's where the tragedy sometimes happens. And for the listeners, what do you want us to walk away with uh, overall after listening to an episode of Cautionary Tales? 
Well, the most important thing is is that the episode sh- should be fun. Now, these are not lectures. We have we have our actors. We have our music. The story should be great. You should really be wanting to know what happens in the end. So that's the that's the primary thing. But then, hopefully, the story contains in it something memorable, some memorable lesson about how the world works and about a particular kind of mistake that we make in different contexts. So if somebody listens to the story of La La Land uh, and and how that Oscar went to La La Land rather than to Moonlight, which is the film it should have gone to, someone listens to that and realizes, oh, hang on, it wasn't just some mistake in the wings. It, there's something systematic going on here. And the same problem uh, is why nuclear power stations sometimes melt down. And the same problem is why we had a banking crisis in 2008. Is the same systematic issue going on. If they learn that, then that that's, I think, something really to take away and hopefully to, to talk about and discuss and, and to apply in your own life. Well, Tim Harford, we've come to a point in the show called Our Podcasters Picks. Now, this is where I ask the guests of today's show to give me their top three favorite podcasts that we should be listening to and describe them to the audience. So, Tim, take it away. Sure. So, I mean, I love all the... I don't want to give you a list of podcasts that you already know. Like 99% Invisible, I love. Radio Lab, I love. Planet Money, Revisionist History, No Such Thing as a Fish. Uh, they're fantastic podcasts, but I think a lot of people will already know them. So I wanted to pick two, uh, three podcasts that I thought your listeners might not have heard. So the first one is Futility Closet. A Futility Closet is uh, presented by a husband and wife team called Greg and Sharon Ross. And each episode, they will present some uh, strange episode from history, uh, often quite weird, some of them very funny, some of them really sad. Uh, the stories of um, heroism, stories of cowardice, there are, there are con men and there are epic uh, heists. The most recent episode, for example, was about a, a painting being stolen from the National Gallery and then held for ransom. The person who stole it, we didn't know who stole it, but the person who stole it was saying, if people donate enough money to charity, I will give this painting back to the National Gallery. So these, these crazy, crazy stories. Um, and it's it's quite lo-fi. It's, um, they've improved the production values, but it's basically just a, a couple with a microphone and um, having done some research, just talking about these stories. Um, they have a lateral thinking puzzle. They have a big mailbag from readers. There's always an active discussion of, of previous episodes so that's what i i really enjoy when that drops in my uh in my feed you know i just skip straight to that that's the thing i i always go to there's something very charming about it futility closet so the second one i would recommend is uh, the secret history of the future this is uh, presented by tom standage of the economist and steth stevenson of slate and what they do quite brilliantly is to take an episode from quite a long time ago, often 19th century, and to show how it prefigures our uh, cutting-edge technology today. So thinking, for example, about the nature of artificial intelligence, they go back to the first chess-playing robot, which, of course, wasn't a robot at all. though It was called the Mechanical Turk. And it was a trick. There was a guy inside it. And so they start by start talking about the nature of artificial intelligence by starting with this what was effectively a conjuring trick uh, 
or uh, you, t- you t- could talk, for example, about um, the history of the internet by going back to uh, the telegraph and how people behaved on the telegraph and how people used uh, telegraph, uh, the telegraph for, uh, for dating, kind of an early version of online dating. So they tell a great story. There's always lots of historical detail that's, that's new to me. And it makes you see the world around you in a different way. So that's the secret history of the future. And then the final podcast I'd recommend uh, is from the BBC. It's quite quirky. It's called The Digital Human. And I, I can recommend this, although I know a lot of people at the BBC and I, I know a lot of the, the programmes that the BBC make, I actually don't know the team behind this. I've never met them. So I feel I can recommend them uh, you know, fairly and people can trust my recommendation here. The Digital Human is presented by Alex Krotowski and she... Um, reflects on the way we use technology, often the way we use the internet, the way we use social media, um, tells very intriguing stories. It's quite experimental. It's quite patchworky in the way that she she puts together the different ideas. But she'll reflect on something like um, the sense of being alone or uh, the sense of finding a purpose or... Um, insults or uh, um, disability or just any just something she'll just take a topic and then she'll come at it in a completely sideways way Um, and you'll hear it it, it, there's always the cutting edge of of what people are doing of online culture Um, but I'm always learning things from that I'm always being made to think and it's quite a different sonic experience from it's like a a classic us podcast like like this american life or planet money it sounds different it sounds fresh so uh the digital human uh from the bbc i recommend wow those are all great picks i can't wait to listen to those and um tim before we get out of here why do you podcast why do i podcast um i love the intimacy of podcasting i love the way you can create images in people's minds they always say the pictures are better on radio but that's what i'm hoping to get something i I could i could never tell these stories uh in a movie theater because i would never have the 200 million dollar budget it would take but just me and the microphone some good actors uh, a, a good composer uh that small team of people i know it's a luxury even to have that but that small team of people you can paint a picture that will really live in people's memories. And that's describes, I think, some of the podcasts I love to listen to, but hopefully describes what we're producing with Cautionary Tales as well. Wow. Well, Tim Harford, it's such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I'm a big fan of you, and I'm a big fan of your show, Cautionary Tales. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to be on OPP. It's, it's my pleasure. It's been great to be on the show, and, and thanks so much for the, for the really smart questions. Nah, man, you're the bomb. Pop bless you. Thank you, sir. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to our special guest, Tim Hartford. Be sure to listen to the very end of this episode to hear the official trailer of Cautionary Tales. And you can find Cautionary Tales on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. This episode was mixed by Joshua Coleman. Theme music for this episode was produced by Richie Quake. And are you down with OPP? If so, please be sure to leave us a five-star rating in the Apple app and let me know your favorite podcast in the review section. 
Lastly, before we get out of here, check out my other show, Silent Giants, which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. And you can find Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Well, I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pod bless y'all. Till next time. I opened the wrapping paper hurriedly, with nervous hands, excited to get at the gift inside. Little did I know, disaster was about to enter my previously happy childhood. No, don't worry, it wasn't a disaster for me. It was a catalogue of disasters for everyone else. The gift was a book titled The World's Greatest Mistakes. Some of the stories were absurd. The bride who accidentally married the best man. Some of them were famous tragedies, like the Titanic, swallowed by the icy sea. All of them fascinated me. And I realised, learning from other people's mistakes is a lot less painful than learning from your own. My name is Tim Harford. Some people call me the undercover economist. I use scientific ideas to help people think more clearly about the world, in my books my BBC radio shows, and my column for the Financial Times. Now I'm using the same rigorous research to understand what we can learn from other people's errors. My new podcast, Cautionary Tales, takes you aboard a doomed airship, sits you on a concert stage in front of a broken piano, and puts you in a room with cult members counting down the final seconds before the end of the world. Helping me tell these cautionary tales are some marvellous actors, such as Alan Cumming and Archie Panjabi from The Good Wife, the Bond villain Toby Stevens, and Russell Tovey from Quantico. We also present the acting debut do it again. of a certain Mr Malcolm Gladwell. I am spellbound. This is the most beautiful creature I have ever listened to. Together, we weave stories of human error, of tragic catastrophes and hilarious fiascos. Helmsman, come to the weave. Vast oil tankers head for the rocks. She's not turning, Captain. Oscars go to the wrong movie. La La Land. And the world's most brilliant economist becomes the world's most famous financial basket case. Win or lose, this high-stakes gambling amuses me. Alongside the drama, each story has a moral. Each story will make you wiser. Cautionary Tales from Pushkin Industries launches on November the 15th. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Trust me, it would be a mistake not to. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.